If you're joining us for the first time tonight, we have been studying the tabernacle of Moses. Uh, We've been looking at how the tabernacle is a picture of Christ and how it's a living illustration of God's desire, and hear me, God's desire to meet with his people. He is not a far off distant God. He is Emmanuel, God who's with us and who promises to never leave us or forsake us. And we're going to continue in that tabernacle series tonight. If you want to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25. I I saw something uh, this week that I I hadn't seen the first time through. And so I I just want to go back and revisit a few verses. And I I hope that I can explain it the way the Lord um, showed it to me. This morning I woke up and I was laying in bed praying and asking the Lord to just speak to my heart about tonight and to really direct my teaching and to to help me to say only what he wanted me to say. And uh, I knew what I was going to teach on, but I I really wanted to give him permission to change it in, in any way that he saw fit. And so I got up from bed and went downstairs to my office and I began to study and before I did, I felt like the Lord uh, told me to go back and, and, and revisit some verses. And I'm like, Lord, I've already looked at those verses. I, I don't, I don't want to go back again. How about we just focus on the show, table of showbread that I'm going to teach tonight. And I had this nagging sensation inside of me and got down on the floor and I just began to pray. And when I got back up, I, I felt again like he wanted me to revisit the scripture and so this time when I went to it, I, I looked it up and he spoke to my heart a little differently about something. And I want to share it with you. We're going to talk about the table of showbread tonight, but I really feel like I would be doing God a disservice if I didn't go back and look at these few verses with you and show you what he showed me this morning. Turn back to Exodus chapter 25 verses 1 and 2. You'll remember this was the Lord saying to Moses, uh, he said, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. And I I felt like the Lord told me to look up that word bring, and I'm like, Lord, pretty sure it means bring. And But this nagging, just a nagging sensation inside of me to look up the word bring. And when I did, it it said to take. We talk about taking up an offering not bringing an offering, taking up an offering, or not giving an offering. We take up an offering. And, and, and I, I was struck by the, 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 the word there. Uh, it, it, the word bring means to take, take an offering from them. And it's interesting that he doesn't use the word give. Tell the children of Israel to give me an offering. Uh, when I give something, I, I really don't look for it to come back to me. If I, if I was going to give Masha $10 and she needed it, I would not look for her to give it back to me. But it's interesting that God doesn't use that word give. He, he says, take an offering. And, and I think because he says that, I, it's so interesting to me that anything that we give to God always comes back to us. So, so anything we take from our sustenance, and then he says, tell them to, to look at it. He says, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. Are you with me? He says, tell them to bring me a sacrifice, to take a sacrifice, to, to, to take it willingly from their heart. I'm asking for them to to have a joint partnership with me. He says, I'm going to build a sanctuary. I'm going to build a place uh, from uh, where I can dwell among them. I'm going to make my dwelling among them, and I want them to participate in that. I'm going to come, and I'm going to dwell with them, And, and I'm asking them to take an offering for me, to take a sacrifice from their substance. It's interesting what they had, they took out of Egypt with them. And now he was asking from that substance for them to take an offering and give it to him. 
He wanted to manifest his presence among the people in that place of offering. And that word take there, he's saying to to take it from their substance, from what they had. And it's interesting, it had to be an offering from the heart. And that word heart, you've heard me teach on that a million times. It means the inner man. It means our passions, our desires, our emotions, our memories, our, our mind, our will. He's saying take an offering, a sacrifice from your heart and give it to me so that I can build a greater place to dwell. Are you with me? So this morning when he was talking to me about that, I just felt like he was saying to me, Rhea, I want a greater place to dwell within you. And I'm telling you to present yourself a living sacrifice to me. And I want you to take from your substance and give it to me. And when you do that, you will make room for me to have a greater place to dwell in you. For example, if, if you know, we think of offerings as financial offerings, if you will. And that's true here. But, but I want you to see that it's an offering from the heart, from your inner man, from your mind, your will, your emotions. And so I said to the Lord this morning, I have some unforgiveness I can take and offer it to you as a living sacrifice. And in doing that, I've now made room inside of my heart for you to have a greater place to dwell. Does that bless anybody besides me? I'm taking, Lord God, my, my desire to get even, <laughs> my desire for revenge, and I'm, I'm taking it from my substance, and I'm giving it to you as a sacrifice. Because I want to get even, but I'm going to sacrifice it to you, Lord God, so that you can have a greater place to dwell inside of me. I'm taking my depression and my despair that I really feel like I have a right to, my anxiety and my worry that I really feel like I'm justified in having, and I'm going to take it from my substance And I'm going to present it to you and offering a sacrifice because I really like to indulge in that self-pity, Lord. But I'm going to present it to you as an offering, a sacrifice. And I'm going to take it from my substance and I'm going to give it to you so that now I have created a greater place for you to dwell in me. Does that bless anybody besides me? He says, if you present it from your heart, your inner man, your emotions, take from your heart, take from your garbage, take from your emotions that seem to rule and reign, take it from there and present it to me so that now you have created for me. Remember, their offerings created a sanctuary, a place for him to dwell. Verse 8 says, let him make, that word make there means to labor or to work me a sanctuary. It means a holy or a sacred place, a consecrated, set-apart place so that I may dwell among them. I want you to know that the Lord does not need anything from us. He's God. He didn't need that offering from the, the, the children of Israel. He was extending an invitation for them to willingly take from their substance and sanctify and set us apart to a greater level so that his presence can dwell among us in a greater degree. We need to bring him to take him an offering so that he can dwell in our midst in an even greater way. The offering required to make this place for him to dwell comes from the heart. It comes from our inner man, freely giving to him so that he can then in turn bless us and manifest himself even greater within within us. Do you see what I'm talking about here? He's asking us to present over and over. We're told in scripture. He says, present yourself a living sacrifice to me. We're called to make a sacrifice to him. And here he's saying, if we reach inside ourselves and it comes from the heart, the sacrifice comes from the things we want to hold on to. We feel justified holding on to things that we think belong to us and we have a right to. And we give them. We take it from us and give it to him. It creates a greater place for him to dwell inside of us. And I just saw that this morning and I wanted to share it with you. We are going to look at verses 23 through 30 tonight and talk about the table of showbread. 
That's where we're going to pick up in our sanctuary teaching tonight, but would you just pray with me first? Father, you know I have all this on paper and in my head, and it's hard for me to organize my thoughts right now because there's so much there. And so, Lord, I'm asking, would you help me to teach with clarity, with effectiveness, and with great understanding? I'm asking you, Lord, that there would be such a spirit of wisdom and revelation that would rest upon the people, that no matter what I say, Lord God, that they would have revelation by the time it gets to their ears, that they would have greater understanding, Lord God, that you would help us take your word and make application of it to our life tonight. Give us wisdom. Direct my thoughts. Direct my words, Lord God. Fill my mouth, I pray, with your message to your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I find it interesting that Jesus makes this statement after he fed the 5,000. You remember the story. It was a, a great story where, where this large multitude of people had followed Jesus to hear his teaching. And, and they had spent the whole day there and they didn't have any food to eat. And Jesus was setting up his disciples and he said to them, where shall we find bread to feed this many people. Scripture says that Jesus was testing his disciples when he said this. You see, he wanted his disciples, and, and you and I, in reading it how many years later, he wanted us to understand that he was all they needed. He was all we needed. But the disciples, like you and I do, they, they were clueless, and, and they were looking for provision in other sources, and they answered Jesus, and they said, we don't have enough money to feed this many people, Lord. Where would we ever get that kind of money? The disciples, like us, were looking at the natural instead of at the supernatural power of God. So Jesus did the miraculous. You know this story. He demonstrates his ability to provide. He sees a little boy who has five loaves and two fishes, and, and he takes that lunch and he multiplies it, and he feeds 5,000. Now, that's just the men. That's not the women and children included. And he has 12 baskets of leftovers. And it's a picture of his supernatural ability to provide not just to provide, but to provide in abundance. He was saying that in him, that there is not only enough to meet the need in your life, but there is more than enough. Do you know that? Do you know that in Christ, there is not just enough to meet your need, to provide sustenance for your life, but there is more than enough. But like the disciples, we look to other sources to find what we need. And the lesson we're going to learn from the tabernacle tonight is that God knows our needs and he can be trusted to meet them according to his riches in glory. Do you believe that? Can I just tell you that whatever we need, God is and he will always prove to be. Whether we need joy or financial provision, healing, wisdom, comfort, peace, well-being, we need a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a strong defense. If we need freedom from bondage, we can trust him to provide and to sustain us in life. It, it, there's, there's something so much deeper in him saying that he is the bread of life. He's declaring to be more uh, than the one who will meet our needs. He's saying that he is life. That he will provide, he himself will provide everything he needs, we need. It's not about him meeting a need, it's about him meeting a need. Are you with me? He is the answer. It's not about what he can give us, it's about who he is. It's interesting to me in the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the very next day, hordes of people came from all over. They had heard about what he could do. And they came searching him out. But you know what? Jesus was not impressed. Do you know why? God, I read that story and I'm thinking, Jesus, you should be so glad that they came seeking you out. But you see, they, they weren't seeking him. They were seeking what he could do for them. 
They weren't seeking a relationship with him or to know him. They, they wanted what he could do for them. They wanted more bread. But Jesus wanted them to want him, to recognize their need of him. And it was right after this story that Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life. Somebody say gives life. It gives life to the world. They replied, sir, give us always this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. When Jesus told them and us that he is the bread of life, he was giving us a solution to our hunger. Not our physical hunger, but our emotional, our spiritual, our relational hunger. A solution that will always satisfy and sustain us in a way that nothing else can. He wants to meet our needs and satisfy our every longing. Every craving we have can be found and satisfied in him. Do you believe that? No man will ever love you enough. You are not going to find the man or woman that's going to fulfill you and satisfy you. I promise you. No, no child will ever fulfill you enough. No job will ever, will, will ever satisfy you enough. You will never have enough money in the bank. You're not going to find the life you're looking for in drugs and alcohol and sex outside of marriage. Only Jesus. I, I deal with people all the time who are disappointed in their spouse, who just want out and have a better relationship with somebody else. And my point is that person was never meant to be the one who could satisfy you. Only Jesus will do that. When you put your expectation in anyone or anything other than Jesus, you will always be disappointed because he created life to be the only thing that can satisfy and he is the bread of life that comes down from heaven and gives life to all the world. Life cannot be found in any other source. But the challenge for us is to partake of him, to eat of him, to feast on his presence. And that's the story we're going to look at tonight. There's another interesting story in John chapter 4. Many of you are familiar with it. It's the woman, by, uh, that was, uh, the woman in Samaria who sat by the well with Jesus. And you know the story. She was hurting. She was going to the well to draw water at noon. And, and we know that she was hurting just by that statement because you do not draw water in the middle of the heat of day. The fact that she was going there at noon tells us that she was going to avoid people. She was filled with shame, and she was going there to avoid what people would say about her or say to her. And I love that Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment with this woman. It was a divine setup, and he sat by that, that well with her, and, and he says to her, go call your husband for me. He was going to immediately address the thing that she thought was providing her needs, the thing that she thought would satisfy her men. And he says, go call your husband for me. And, and she says, sir, I don't have a husband. He says, no, you're exactly right there. You've had five. And the man that you're living with now doesn't love you enough to marry you. He's not even your husband. And then he goes on and says to her, here is a, a hurting woman that he, he goes out of his way to meet, to, to, to meet and to speak life into because he is the bread of life. He is the one that will sustain her. He wants her to understand she can't find what she needs in a man, that she can't find what she needs in women who are going to gossip about her, but she can find what she needs in Jesus. And she encounters him at that well that day, the bread of life, and he radically transforms her life. But what strikes me is his disciples all this time, were, they had gone to the next town to buy bread, to buy food. And they come back and they say to Jesus, Jesus, here's food, eat. Why aren't you eating? And Jesus looks at them and he, and he says, I have bread that you don't even know about. 
And what he was saying is, I don't need bread to satisfy me. I am satisfied by doing what the Father tells me to do. I have such satisfaction in doing the will of the Father. And I just want to ask you tonight, do you find satisfaction in pleasing the Father? Do you find satisfaction in doing the will of the Father? Do you find sustenance in everything that you need in your relationship with the Father? Or do you try to find it in the things of this world? In Deuteronomy 8, 3, it says, So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I want you to see the, the verbiage there. It says man shall not live by bread alone. It doesn't say that they cannot live by bread alone. It says he shall not. You see, we try to, to be sustained and, and to find life in, in things other than God. But he says, your life comes from every word that comes from the mouth of God. It comes from relationship, from intimacy with God. Do you understand that? That life cannot be found in anything other than him. Being in the presence of God brings life. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Exodus chapter 25 Verses 23 through 30. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Now remember, we've talked many times about acacia wood and, and how it's virtually indestructible, uh, that, that it, is, it is a strong wood, it's a, it's a, a beautiful wood, and, and that it, it really speaks of the humanity of Christ. It's indestructible, it's incorruptible, and, and it's a picture of, of the humanity of Christ. He says, you shall, shall make a table from acacia wood and Two cubits shall it be in length, a cubic in width, and a cubic and a half in its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. Remember, gold speaks of the deity of Christ. This, this uh, wood was overlaid with gold, and it's a picture uh, of, of humanity, of the humanity and the divinity of Christ, the deity of Christ. Gold speaks of deity or royalty or purity. And he says in verse 25, you shall make for it a frame, a handbreadth all around, and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make it of four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are of its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the pools to bear the table. And you shall make the pools of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, the table, that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Now, I want you to turn over to Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. And you shall take fine flour and bake 12 cakes with it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be on each cake, and you shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put frankincense on each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial and offering made by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place. For it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. I want you to see back to Exodus 25. I want you to look. We're going to talk about the table of showbread. Now, you'll, you'll see that also return, referred to as the bread of presence or the bread of face. And we're going to talk about both of those terms uh, tonight. But, but what we're going to look at is the bread itself. And the, the bread, you'll know, and we have a picture somewhere, Don, is found in the holy place. We're no longer talking about the outer court of the, of the tabernacle. We're now coming through into the holy place. And, and as we enter into the holy place, you'll see that the table of showbread sits on one side, or the table of present, or the bread of presence. And then the golden lampstand on the other side. We're going to talk about that next week. And then the altar of incense. That is all in the holy place before we cross into the most holy place where we find the Ark of the Covenant. 
but the bread was found on the table. And the bread in the holy place is a foreshadowing. We've talked about how the tabernacle is a picture of Christ. The, the bread was a foreshadowing of Jesus, who is the bread of life, as we talked about just a few minutes ago. It's a picture of Christ who would provide sustenance and provision for all who partake of him. Jesus, as you know, uh, John tells us, was the word. He is the living word. And when we partake of him by reading his word and spending time in his presence, we get satisfied. We get filled. I get filled when I get up in the morning and I spend time in his word. He satisfies me in a way that no other can. Bread was also a, a, a picture of provision. It was symbolic of provision for, for our daily needs. That's how Israel would have looked at bread as, as provision. And in the Jewish culture, bread was an idiom for what was needed to sustain daily life. And so when Jesus said he was the bread, he was saying, I am all that you need to sustain life. But it was even bigger than that. He, he wasn't just all that we needed to sustain life. When, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. That, that prayer was not for a loaf of bread. It was, it was asking God to provide for their daily needs, to be the meter of their daily needs. And the table of showbread was a reminder to Israel that God was aware of and would meet and provide for those daily needs. That, that, that bread set in his presence, in his face, if you will. And he was constantly aware of their needs. That bread, he says, should always be before him. And it was an assurance to Israel that their daily needs were always before him. And that he would sustain and provide for them. Do you know that he wants to meet your daily needs? Do you know that he wants to be the one to satisfy and sustain you? Do you know that he can be faithful to be trusted to do that? Leviticus 24, what we read earlier, it says that the, the bread would be eaten by the priests, and, and that was for Aaron and his sons, and, and it would be a lasting covenant for any priest, and, and you and I are the royal priesthood, and we are called to eat of that bread, of that sustenance of the bread of life. It was food for the priests, and it was made fresh every week. It was there for seven days and then it was replaced and it never grew stale. They could eat it after seven days and it was still fresh. You and I need to feast on his word, the living word, and we need to sit in his presence, the presence of the living word, the bread of life to provide substance and, and satisfaction. The um, oral history of, of Israel said, it, it, they, they say that, that even a bite of this bread that was in the holy place, as the priests went and had even a bite, what one, one commentary I read said that even a bean-sized bite of this bread would sustain a priest all day long. It was enough. Whatever was in that bread provided sustenance all day long for that priest. Can I tell you, Jesus provide satisfaction like no other. I want you to notice the location of this bread. It was in the holy place, not the outer court, not in the camp. You could only eat of this bread if you were a priest and you had taken advantage of all that he had offered. Remember, we talked the last time we were together about washing at the basin and how that's a picture. It wasn't the sacrifice had already been made for us as Christians. It's a picture of, of, of the sacrifice at that brazen altar got us to heaven. But there was something deeper about going into his presence and it meant stopping to wash and to cleanse yourself with the washing of the word. And and now you're in his presence and you've gone a little deeper. The priest that got to that table of showbread would have had to wash prior to coming in. So it could only be eaten after he had washed. Remember the, the scripture in 1 Corinthians that talks about the communion table. You see, that table of presence 
was a picture of communion, of fellowship. Well, when we talk about the word table there, it's a picture of fellowship. When you come to my house, I promise you, ask anybody that comes to visit me. We don't go to the living room. We don't go to the parlor. I will escort you right to my kitchen table. I, it's just a place of fellowship in my house. And, and I love to have people in for a meal. I, I love to have people over for dessert. I just love to have people for tea. And if you come to my house, I will not sit you in our parlor. I will set you at my kitchen table and we will have fellowship and we will talk to each other across the table and you will feel welcome in my house because you sat at my table. When God says that there's a table in my tabernacle, in the place that I've chosen to dwell, what he's saying is that I'm inviting you in for fellowship. I'm inviting you in to feast at my table, to feast on the bread of life at the table of my presence. I want you to come and fellowship with me. I want to, have, I want to be intimate with you. But notice you had to wash before you could get there. I believe that that's a problem with the church today. I believe that we don't know intimacy like that. I believe we know about God, but we've never really gotten past the brazen altar. We've never gotten past that place of sacrifice because we are so satisfied that we get to die and go to heaven, that we've never gone deeper into the deeper things of God. And he invites us to come deeper, to wash in the basin, to come in and feast in his presence, to fellowship with him at the table of his presence. That word table there is fascinating. You see, the table uh, it was, was the center of every Jewish home. And like my, my table at my house, if you come to visit, all the communion will take place around my, my kitchen table. And that's how it was for the Jewish people. And it's a picture of God's desire to fellowship with his people. But if you look up that word table in Exodus 25, this is the definition, the Hebrew definition that you will see. As a table, as spread out, by implication, a meal. Oh, that, that really got to me. A table that is spread out. My children are all coming home for Thanksgiving. I, I can hardly wait. Leslie's daughter Haley is coming home for Thanksgiving and she said to her, Mom, are we going to the Briscoes for lunch? And, and, and because I see I take seriously Thanksgiving meal. I'm already, I'm already planning my menu. I already have it written out. I know what I'm going to serve. And, and, and my kids are coming home and I cannot wait to see them. And, and I promise you that table will be a spread. It'll be a spread of food and, and it'll be all of their favorite things. I already said to Haley, do you want orange poppy seed bread? Because I know it's her favorite. I have said to Christy, do you want, do you want carrot souffle? Because I know it's her favorite. I know what my boys like, and I'm telling you, it will all be on that table. I can hardly wait. It'll be a table spread for them because I want them to know that I love them, that they're important to me, that, that I love that they came to the table. I want them to know that it matters to me, that they are at that table. Can I tell you, Psalm 23 says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Oh, can I tell you, he doesn't want to just sustain you behind closed doors. He wants in the presence of your enemies to be everything that you need. So you are free to love your enemies, love the people that mistreat you because you don't need anything from them, that you're getting everything you need from him, that there is a table prepared before you. See, that's why women say to me all the time, I can't love my husband. He's done this and this and this and this to me. And, and I'm, I want to just say, dear one, why are you expecting anything from him? God will prepare a table before you in the presence of that husband that's hard to love. And you have everything you need at that table to feast and find life. And you do not need it from any man, woman, child, or friend. I promise you, he is able to sustain and satisfy. Oh, he has a table spread out before you. He's preparing a table before you. And he is the bread of life the bread of life. I want you to make sure that you understand that that table came after the basin. If you flip over to 1 Corinthians 11, this is the communion scripture. I started to tell you this earlier. Uh, that table in the holy place is a picture of communion. 
of fellowship. And we, have, we just, I, I really don't believe that the church really understands the beauty of communion, of the breaking of bread, the breaking of fellowship. It's a picture of fellowship. And we have fellowship with his sufferings. And, and we, do, you, do, you, do you picture communion there? And that table in the holy place is a picture of communion with God. And in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 28 and 29, it says this. But let any man himself examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Notice he says that that before you come to break bread with me, to have fellowship with me, make sure you examine yourself. Make sure you're washing at the basin before you rush in to have fellowship with me. Examine yourself. And then he goes on and he says this this table uh, contains bread. and, And that word bread there means bread of presence or the bread of the face. I really like that because you see over and over in scripture, well, we have this command to seek his face and not his hand. <laughs> I love that. He, he says, seek my face and not my hand. And what he's saying is, seek my presence. He talks about being face to face. It's a picture of presence. It's a picture of intimacy with him. And, 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 and we're, we're, we're called to seek his face, his presence. And so when he talks about the bread of face, it means the bread of his presence. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Again, that word face is presence. We, we need to seek his presence. I, I think it's what's missing in the church today. I read this illustration and I chuckled and I sent it to Dave and I said, do you think this would be okay to use in my sermon? And he said, absolutely, you have to use it. And so I just want to read it to you. It comes from a sermon illustration book. It says, one Sunday morning, an old cowboy entered a church just before services were to begin. Although the old man and his clothes were spotlessly clean, he wore jeans, a denim shirt, and boots that were very worn and ragged. In his hand, he carried a worn-out old hat and an equally worn-out Bible. The church he entered was very upscale and in an exclusive part of the city. It was the largest and most beautiful church that the old cowboy had ever seen. The people of the congregation were all dressed with expensive clothes and accessories. As the cowboy took a seat, the others moved away from him. No one greeted, spoke to, or welcomed him. They were all appalled at his appearance and did not attempt to hide it. The preacher gave a long sermon filled with fire and brimstone and a stern lecture on how much money the church needed to do God's work. As the old cowboy was leaving the church, the preacher approached him and asked the cowboy to do him a favor. Before you come back in here again, have a talk with God and ask him what he thinks would be appropriate attire for worship. The old cowboy assured the preacher he would. The next Sunday, he showed back up for the services wearing the same ragged jeans, shirt, boots, and hat. Once again, he was completely shunned and ignored. The preacher approached the man and said, I thought I asked you to speak to God about what you should wear before you came back to our church. I did, replied the old cowboy. If you spoke to God, what did he tell you? The proper attire should be for worshiping in here, asked the preacher. Well, sir, God told me that he didn't have a clue what I should wear. He says he's never been here before. We were never meant to have life outside of God. We were meant to be connected and in fellowship with him living and abiding in his presence. You see, I am convinced that some churches today, we're, 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 we're making it a performance. We're looking good. We're saying all the right things, but the presence of God is not there. We have not, we're not honoring his presence. We're not seeking his presence. We're seeking his hand. We're seeking his accolades. We're seeking what he can do for us, but we're not seeking his face. His presence. As a royal priesthood, we are to eat of his presence, spend time seeking his face and feeding on his word. 
which imparts life. Flipping back to Exodus 25, I want you to see that the table had four rings on it. Verses 13, uh, Exodus 37, verses 13 through 15, it says, They cast four gold rings for the table and fastened them to the four corners where the four legs were. The rings were put close to the rim to hold the poles used for carrying the table. The poles for carrying the table were made of acacia wood and were overlaid in gold. I want you to notice that this table was built for the journey. It was meant to be taken along in the journey. And it says that the presence, the bread that was on that table had to be before the Lord at all times. It was not even removed in the journey. That's why it had that rim around it. Look at the rim that's around the table table there. It held that bread in. The bread wouldn't slide off because of that rim that was around the table. And you see those four rings around the legs. It was used to carry that table through the wilderness. And even when it was being carried, the bread was not removed. And it was a picture of that that table being carried in the journey. And you and I are to carry the word of God. We're to carry the presence of God through our journey in life. Do you see that? Protecting it just like that rim protected the bread from sliding off. You and I need to protect the presence of God in our life. There are just some things I can't do anymore because I want to protect the presence of God in me. You say, Rhea, you can't do anything to, to, to remove his presence from your life. Nope, I can't. But I can sure keep it from being manifested through me. Sin will do that. Now, I don't care if you're, if you're like, oh, we're saved by grace. We don't have to worry about sin. You rock on with your bad self. But I promise you, you are not manifesting the presence of God like he wants to be manifested if that's your attitude. We have to choose to protect that presence at all costs. And there are some things I just can't do anymore because I have to protect the presence of God in me. I am not going to take God's presence into an R-rated movie and feel good about it. I can't protect his presence in doing that. So those, those polls said that that table was built for the journey. He wants to be with us at all times. He's with us in the journey. He's with us like a mighty warrior. He's truly, he's truly Emmanuel, God who's always with us. Think about that the next time you want to gossip. Think about that the next time you want to say something to somebody that that, that isn't good. I want you to remember he's with us for the journey. That table, scripture says, was to be kept full at all times. It was never empty. And you and I are to be kept full of his presence, filled with his word at all times, never empty, eating of that bread of life daily. That making, that the, the, the Israelites had to provide that bread to the, to the priests. They had to bring it once a week and, and replace that bread once a week. Every seven days, that bread had to be replaced. It took work to, to, and labor to make that bread, to bring it to that priest to replace it. And it was done once a week. And I thought, Lord, is that symbolic of coming to church once a week? I really can't be. I'm I'm sure that's not what it means. Because you're not talking about Sunday morning attendance here. But it was replaced every seven days. I think rather it means it's the number of perfection of completion. That you keep replacing that bread of life in your life. You keep eating that bread. You keep sitting with that word over and over and over. There were 12 loaves of bread on that table, and it, and it's, it was symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel, one loaf of bread for each tribe. Every tribe had a place at God's table, equal in size. Each of those loaves of bread were equal in size. They were equal in weight. They were equal in quality. Oh, can I tell you that, that it's a picture of the 12 tribes. It's a picture of God's people all being welcome at that table, that they are all equal, all equal. There is no, uh, no Jew. There is no woman or man. There is no uh, Gentile. We are all welcome at the table of God. The 12 loaves were in God's presence. That's why it's called the bread of presence. They were literally before God's face. 
I told you that there was a rim that protected this table and protected the bread, and, and it symbolizes the security that we have in him and the infallibility of God's word. The rim was to keep what was on it from falling off. It kept it from sliding off, especially during the journey. And I ask you if you guard at God's presence in your life. Do you live aware that he's with you everywhere you go? I thought it was fascinating. If you look at Numbers uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, it gives you the coverings. Remember, we talked about how they covered the furniture as they journeyed through the wilderness. And it was fascinating to me that this bread, remember, it's symbolic of the bread of life. It's symbolic of his presence with us. It's symbolic of him wanting us to feast at his table, to to enjoy fellowship with him and intimacy with him. And, And it's fascinating to me that that this table, when it journeyed through the wilderness, that the priest would cover it first with a blue cloth. Remember, we talked about how blue was symbolic of heaven. He says in John, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And then the next layer, it was covered with a scarlet cloth. And and it was a picture of, of, remember, bread was a picture of sustenance and provision and, and, and the red cloth was a picture of the blood of Jesus and how the ultimate provision is what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. He provided atonement for our sin. And then the next layer that went over that was, was badger skin and, and remember badger skin was what the, the, the people in the wilderness would have seen as that table went through the wilderness. The priests knew that there was blue and red underneath it, but all that the, the people in the wilderness would have seen is the badger skin. The badger skin. The badger skin would have protected it from from dust and dirt as they journeyed through the wilderness and would have kept that furniture from being defiled by dirt. And and it's just so interesting to me that that's what the world would have seen, but the priests knew the beauty of what was underneath it. And and I was thinking about my wilderness journeys and how when I'm in a wilderness place, I look at all God promises to be and all that he gives me and all I see is the badger skin. I don't see the beauty of what lies underneath it. As I was reading through this and studying, I was like, Lord, there's just so much here. How how do I convey this? How do I help people to just understand that the table is such a picture of a place of fellowship and communion, and the bread is communion with the bread of life, with the sustainer, with the one, the only one who can give true life, and how I need to meet him in that place and, and, and wash and come into his presence to, to maintain that intimacy and that deep connection. I need to be intentional about doing that, and, and Lord, how do I convey all of that? I'm just so aware that in the church today, we are starving spiritually. We've stopped at the brazen altar and we have received atonement for our sin. We've received the sacrifice that Christ made through us through faith by grace. We receive that and we know that we're in that outer court and we're going to heaven. Don, put that courtyard back up for me again. We're in that outer court and we know that we're going to heaven. Give me the diagram, just that one. We're in that outer courtyard. We've made it through the, 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 the gate, the one way through Jesus Christ, but we've stopped at the altar, burnt offerings, and we're satisfied there. We're satisfied with the provision he made for our sins, but he wants us to go deeper into his presence, and that requires washing at that laver. It requires eating, spending time in his presence, partaking of everything that he is, understanding that he is the only thing that can truly sustain you, the only thing that can truly fill and satisfy you, And next week, we're going to look at the golden lampstand and what that means. You're going to be so surprised at what that means. But I'm telling you, there is something so much more than what we're experiencing in the church today. We are satisfied with so much less than what he wants to provide for us. 
We're looking because we're outer court Christians. We're looking for sustenance in something other than him. We're expecting somebody or something other than him to meet our needs and satisfy our deepest longings. But I'm telling you, that can only happen by partaking of the bread of life. He is the only thing that will ever satisfy you. Trust me, I have checked every place else. I've left a pathway of destruction behind me because I tried to find life in in a source other than him. He is the only thing that will ever satisfy you. He is the only thing that will ever provide sustenance and, and sustain you in life. Everything else will come up empty. Are you content to be an outer court Christian with so much less than what he wants to provide for you? This week, will you be intentional about pressing through, washing in his presence, and then coming into his presence where there's fullness of joy, eating of his word, partaking of the living word. When we, You see, the written word is the Bible. And when we sit with that written word and we get into his presence, he begins to deposit in us such life. He sustains us. He speaks to us where we are. We have fellowship with him in his word. And we begin to know him like we've never known him before and experience him at a level we've never experienced him before. And that, my friends, is the place of satisfaction. That is the place of fulfillment. That's when everything else in this world is going wrong. That's how you can live well because you're getting what you need from him and not from another source. But just like they had to labor to bring that bread week after week after week, to bring fresh bread, you and I have to labor to not let the bread of life grow moldy or stale by not partaking of it, by not not spending time replenishing it in our life. We have to be intentional about that. We can remain in that outer court. I will never argue with somebody who says I've been saved by grace. You have been saved by grace. You can't do anything to deserve that. You get what you don't deserve. You get heaven when you deserve hell. But it does not stop there, my friends. There is so much more to experience. I want to live in that deeper place. I want to live in his presence. I want to understand what it means to look to him for every need I have and to watch him not just meet it, but to meet it according to his riches and glory, to have 12 baskets of leftovers when all I'm giving him are five loaves and two fishes. That's what he does. He does the immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. Why would I ever look to somebody or something else to satisfy but him?